Jewish Latin Princess, episode 43, Randy Rubenstein, author of The Parent Gap. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. Is there a gap between what you thought you'd be as a parent and where you are as a parent? Do you worry that you're messing up your kids? My guest today wants to help parents close what she's called the parent gap and to teach parents to stay connected to their children, change unhealthy patterns, and keep their cool while running their household. I have Randy Rubenstein on Jewish Latin Princess. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Randy is the author of The Parent Gap, tools to keep your cool, stay connected, and change unhealthy patterns. Aside from being an author, Randy is a certified life coach a parent coach and a speaker who helps parents raise confident, kind, and self-motivated kids. She's the featured parenting coach on Great Day Houston, as well as on Fox News in Austin. She was also the featured parenting expert in the Houston Chronicle during Harvey about how to talk to your kids about the tragic situation. Randy offers private consultations and group programs, which you can learn about at randyrubenstein.com. Now, how did Randy get to where she is today? Was she always a cool and collected mother? How can we motivate our kids without being the nagging parent that we swore we were never going to be? Can we do away with old school values as we're learning to parent differently than our parents did? How do we approach the child that doesn't fit into a box? Is it okay to tolerate some chutzpah? This and more with practical and super relatable Randy Rubenstein. Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. So good to have you on the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. So excited that you are you're actually around the corner from me. We're both in Houston, Texas. So this is the perfect excuse for us to connect and then actually meet in person. <laughs> exactly. Brenda, exactly. you are the author of The Parent Gap. Tools to keep you um, cool. Yeah, tools to keep you cool, stay connected, and change unhealthy patterns. And so you're on a mission to help us close what you've called the parent gap. So why don't we get started with you telling us what exactly is the parent gap? Well, I'm glad you asked. Um, okay, so the parent gap is when you become a parent, there's this gap. That seems to exist for pretty much every parent I've ever talked to. And it's the gap between the parent that you want to be and then the parent that you currently are when your kids are pushing your buttons. And especially, it seems like the people that are drawn most to my work are those of us who have one particularly challenging kid that doesn't just push our buttons, but seems to stomp on our buttons. And, um, and when you have one of these children, it is very difficult to be the parent that you want to be that doesn't yell, that's super patient, that's constantly kind of showing up in this motivational, positive soccer coach type way. It's real hard to be that parent when you've got a kid that's stomping on your buttons. So what are some tools for us to stay out of that gap or to close that gap? Let's get a little tactical. What, what could we start implementing right away? I mean, we've all been there, so... We've all been there, and, you know, where I really start with people, number one, let me just say this. This is a recipe to retrain your brain. And the thing that makes me so incredibly passionate about the work that I do is that this is a recipe that it's taken me 20 years to develop and learn and dig in, and I figured out a way to streamline it and teach it to people much more quickly than it took me to learn it. So I basically created work that I wish had existed 
for younger me. And so, so it's a brain retraining program. And there's been so many developments in the fields of, in the field of neuroscience in the last like 20 years, but specifically in the last decade that regular people, regular people like me and you who come into this, to this parenthood thing and say to ourselves, well, I really don't want to yell at my kids or I hate when my parents did X, Y, and Z. Um, I really don't want to do it that way. And then we find ourselves doing it. Um, even though we think that we know how not to do it, we beat ourselves up and we wonder what, what's wrong with us. You know, why do we keep doing that? Why do we keep re- repeating it? And so what I've learned is, is that when we learn some, this new conversation, this new parenting conversation, which is really some new communication methods, some proactive tools and a new way to relate to our children, what we end up doing is we retrain our brain to show up differently for our kids. And it involves, not only does it involve learning these kind of new tools for more positive communication with our kids, such as practical, I'm getting tactical now, such as asking for what you want versus what you don't want. So when you have, and, and, and it's funny, with the human brain, we focus more on the negative naturally. So we'll say, don't run, stop doing that. Stop fighting with your sister. You know, and we tell, we tell them what not to do. But the thing is, is that what we focus on grows. So when we focus on the negative and what not to do, that grows and they do more of what they're not supposed to be doing. So when we focus on the positive and what we want them to do, that grows. So really like, like training yourself to say, instead of don't run, walking feet, walking feet, walking feet, walking feet, gentle, instead of don't hit gentle hands, soft hands, gentle hands. Before you go into a store with all kinds of breakable tchotchkes everywhere and you've got a three-year-old, um, your hand isn't telling them the, what your expectations are, not don't touch anything. Don't make a mess. Don't bubble. You know, none of that. You say your hand is in mine. Your hand is with mommy all the time. So we can make sure that you stay safe and that nothing in the store gets broken. So your hand's going to be in mine. We're going to be holding hands. You're going to be holding onto my leg. We're going to be together all the time there. You'll be right with me. So really focusing on the behavior that you do want versus spelling out the things you don't want. That's where I would start. Mm-hmm. So I'm focusing on the positive, right? Mm-hmm. So you said it's training your brain. So I find that most of parenting, like I always say, we have these children, but they came into the world for us to grow. We think it's about them, but I find the older I get and the older my kids get, that it's so much more about me and my self-growth than about them, right? 100%. Self-worth. Yes. It's yeah. It's, I mean, it really is. I, are you, are you about to ask me a second part to this question? Or expand on that if you want. So the retraining of our brain really is that we get to grow up alongside our kids. And most of the time, and nobody, y'all don't shoot the messenger on this because nobody wants to hear this. <laughs> um, but most of the time we show up with our kids, especially when we're having those triggered moments when they're pushing our buttons and we're repeating the patterns from the past that we really don't want to do. And we really don't want to yell, but then we find ourselves doing it anyway. It's because when we're in that triggered state, we're really, we're really coming from a place of old, unhealed wounds from our own childhood. And what that really means is that we're not parenting from a place of emotional adulthood. And what we get to do when we learn these methods for retraining our brains and we have the accountability built in and we're practicing and we have support. And before you know it, it becomes more natural to take a deep breath versus to yell your head off when you're feeling frustrated. What we have the ability to do is honestly to show up differently for our kids. And, and when we do that, we find ourselves resolving those old wounds that we didn't even really know were still hanging around, but we resolve it because it feels so much better to be this person that's in control, not out of control. And we don't have the guilt hangover later. And we also don't have to go into this place of victimhood of, you know, why do I have these old wounds hanging around? Why didn't my parents do it this way? 
And the way I explain that is, is this just, this is part of human evolution. We live in this day and age of amazing information. And, and, and even just in the field of neuroscience alone, like we have learned so many things and we have access from our phone that's with us all the time to learn all these incredible things, to listen to podcasts like yours, where we get to learn things on the go and consume information that our parents did not have access to. And so what, what we're doing with that, with the, that, you know, I mean, this beautiful evolution is we are retraining ourselves to evolve and to have the conversation evolve and to learn these new tools because our parents, they didn't know these things existed. They did the best with the information they had, but the way they parented us or pretty much everyone I know, it was based on this old outdated model, which was really about raising obedient factory workers who were one day going to go and work for a boss and punch a time clock and not get fired and have your pension and be able to retire one day. But what we know now is I don't know any parent that would raise their hand and say, oh, I really want to raise my child to be a factory worker. Like we want to raise thought leaders and innovators and entrepreneurs and and kids that really understand how to be, you know, how to think for themselves and to be change agents. We don't want to raise sheep, but yet those old parenting methods that, that come so naturally to us, especially when we're in those triggered places, that comes from the factory worker model. So, so we're changing that. We're changing it. And I, that's what I've done for myself and, you know, all the parents that I work with and the results speak for themselves, but it, it, it's really, it's kind of a growing movement, this new parenting conversation. So having said that, um, can we do complete do away with the old school style of parenting, Randy? I mean, there has to be a place, a point where the boundaries are firm and your word as a parent, that's what it is, period. You know, not that we want the authoritarian method, but, you know, can we really do away with the old school complete? So when I say the old school, the old conversation, the old conversation really is about fear tactics and it's about thinking that we need to motivate our children by instilling fear into them. And what we know now, the new, more evolved method is that we tap into our kids' natural, innate, or intrinsic motivation. So we don't need to, that's, we don't need to scare them to death to get them to do the right thing. The truth of the matter is, is kids do well if they can. Kids are born to actually do the right thing. And when they're not doing the right thing, it's because there's something to be figured out, which takes us showing up from this communicative place to help investigate and find out what's going on for them because they want to do the right thing. So when we are able to, you know, I I always say, this new conversation and this this movement of being a more conscious parent, it's not permissive parenting and it's not authoritarian parenting. I say it's the baby bear parenting. It's just right. It's in the middle. And, and what we end up doing is we create this family team environment and it's clear that the parents are the coach. The parents are the head coaches. So when your kid shows up and says, I don't want to play goalie today, and you say, I hear you, and we're going to talk about this, and today the team needs you to be goalie, so you'll be playing goalie. And so ultimately, at the end of the day, the parent is still the one in the position of leadership. And the kids need us to be in that position of leadership. But we don't have to dominate and threaten and bribe and fear or use shame and blame and punishment. There is a better way to motivate our kids to show up in the world, do the right thing, respect us, and really understand that we are, we are the team leaders. And, and, and so I'm here to say there's a better, yes, we want to keep the old school kind of values of this is not a democracy. The parent is the team leader. A hundred percent. Yes, yes, and yes. Teaching our kids manners and respect and how to show up in the world from a place of, um, you know, really being a mensch and offering kindness and doing the right thing and, 
and being a person of character, yes, yes, and yes. We just don't need to teach it to them in a way that, that breaks their spirit. Right. So it's, it's like Jewish, you know, the Jewish way of educating in Torah truth, true Torah values is we have to motivate out of love. We don't motivate yeah. out of Nobody responds well to that. And um, I guess the, the evidence, you know, has backed this up till this now. And this is where this shift is happening. And that's, that's where we need to. So how come, Randy, we are um, at some point, we're all feeling like we're messing up our kids. Or like, where is this coming from? I mean, we talked about the positive side of the fact that there's so much information available now. And we can learn so many new and wonderful things. But I think the flip side of this is everybody's comparing themselves to each other and we're constantly women have a tendency perhaps a little bit we're too hard on ourselves and we're not gentle enough with ourselves and we are so hard on ourselves sometimes and we feel like oh my gosh I'm just doing it all wrong I don't know that my parents felt that way (laughs) yeah I think it's always existed to be perfectly honest Um, I think it's just in this day and age this information day and age of social media you know we we can very quickly and easily drop into what I call the compare and despair phenomenon. And when everybody's showing their shiniest version of their outsides on social media, uh, it can, I mean, it can really, really cause you to go down into this rabbit hole of, um, of compare and despair. And it's back to the, I love certain quotes and, um, you know, what we focus on grows. So when we focus on all of our inadequacies and we're comparing our real life and our insides to everyone else's shiniest outsides, not healthy, not going to support us in the way that we're able to live our best life and be our best self. So first and foremost, I would say put parameters around. I mean, I have a whole series of things that I teach and really one of the things that I love putting into practice is, is, is like a day creator, which is an exercise that you do at the beginning of a, of every day, which helps you to create your day versus letting your day create you. And, um, and so you're putting things that you really want to accomplish today and that you will. And when you write it down, you're much more likely to accomplish them so that you don't fall into that time suck of social media and that rabbit hole that just makes you feel terrible about yourself. And the next thing you know, you're doing a bunch of distracting behaviors like overeating or, you know, smoking or whatever it is to make yourself feel better. Um, you, you really put parameters around those things. And, you know, you said something earlier, which, well, I'll say this, the whole, the whole, I think I'm messing up my kids. That really is my recipe really does solve that problem because that's kind of the pain point of most of the people that are drawn to my work is that we sit there and we feel like in isolation, we're just so worried that we're going to be messing up our kids. And, um, and what I know is that when we come together as, as this supportive community and we surround ourselves with sisters essentially, and we're propelling each other forward versus competing against each other. It, it built, it's this community where we all start to shine more and we all start to realize that we're not aiming to be perfect parents. There is no such thing. What we're aiming for is to have real relationships in our lives, in our families, with our friends. We're aiming to live these lives that that feel authentic, that feel purposeful, that fill us up with meaning. And it's not just the superficial external BS that exists on social media. And so, um, and so it's this beautiful process that we get to go through and we realize it doesn't serve us or anyone else to sit in isolation and to feel guilty and to compare ourselves against other people. Instead, let's focus on who we do want to be. Let's focus on getting to know how we were naturally wired and who we are. Let's surround ourselves with other shiny women and realize that there's way more room for 
like it's not it's not the old the old philosophy of there's only room for one star of the show. What we know now is that when we surround ourselves with other shiny people, it illuminates our shine. So rather than thinking that we need to compete against one another, we build each other up and we build this momentum where we really are part of this movement all together. And it a hundred percent benefits us, but also really, really benefits our kids. I love that you brought this to the parenting conversation. Talked about this on the show several times when it comes to entrepreneurship and and the workplace and how women now we've had a shift towards building each other up and supporting each other and collaborating. And I, I love that you've brought it to the parenting conversation because it's so true. I- you mentioned real relationships and the bottom line is real relationships are between human beings who sometimes mess up, sometimes we have to apologize, sometimes we're doing great, we're all trying to improve ourselves. So it's just that's what relate that's that's reality and uh-huh. we need a lot more of that and when we model that for our children, that's a great powerful message. It's a, yeah, it, it is. It's amazing. And when you surround yourself with friendships, with real relationships that that don't involve competitiveness, what that does is it lights you up and it energizes you. And so when you, you know, your kids do come home from school, you are not depleted from having spent your day in these conversations that absolutely drained and exhausted you. And, and the other thing is, is kids learn by what we model, how we behave and how we show up in the world way more than from our words. Like we want to know, I have people all the time who are like, Oh, if I can only say it exactly like you. And I'm like, well, let me tell you something. 93% of communication is nonverbal. So you don't need to say it just like me. You need to say it just like you. And more than anything, you need to just live it. Because when you're living it and you're showing up in the world from a place that feels really good and really energizing and you have real friendships in your life, real relationships, well, your kids, they feed off of that. And they grow up and they don't understand what it's like to be surrounding. They like, they only choose friends that light them up and help them to feel good. That's all they know. That's how they're being programmed. And it's an amazing thing. So, Jeremy, what brought you here? Take us down memory lane a little bit. How did you become a parent in this yeah, I, so I am a, I don't know if y'all, if you've taken the four tendencies quiz, I'm obsessed with, I love assessments and there's this new four tendencies quiz by Gretchen Rubin. Um, no, she, I, she, 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 no, I know her work very well. Okay. Yeah. She's awesome. And so it's a free quiz. You can take it online. Anyway, now I have the official results that tell me that I am a rebel. and I'm married to an upholder a total rule follower we are complete opposites Um, so yes yin and yang can make for a good marriage Um, so yeah so I'm a rebel and I paved my own way I don't ever do anything in an orthodox way Um, and I was now I know my oldest son is 19 he's a sophomore in college Uh, when he was born he came to me startled easily. He was easily overstimulated. He cried a lot. I always joke that I had to put him in a baby Bjorn and wear him to make a sandwich because I like had trouble putting him down. And I just knew there was something to figure out. I didn't know what it was, but I knew there was something to figure out. And whenever anyone from the older generation, you know, told me that if I held him too much, he was going to be spoiled and all that. My rebel, my inner rebel was like, yeah, whatever. That's ridiculous. But there is something to figure out. So I started reading the most, and back then there weren't podcasts and ways to, you know, to educate yourself in such an easy way, the way there is now. But I started reading literally the most boring books on the planet, all about like parenting and child development. And and this is also ties into why I wrote my book, because what I always say is, is I wrote my book for people that don't typically read parenting books. Um, my, and my goal was, was you can start it in Houston. And by the time you land in LA on a flight, you will have read the book. And it's all like, it sounds like you're sitting down and talking to me and it's all in like, 
like real mom language because I started reading all these books that to me were interesting because I had a challenge I was trying to figure out. But what I found out from everyone else is that they typically don't get through chapter one in parenting books because they're boring. And um, so I started reading these books. I wanted to figure out my son. I wanted to figure out this whole motherhood thing. Um, I knew that I just, I didn't know I was an inner rebel, but I knew that I wanted to raise my, I wanted my kids to have a super happy childhood. And, um, my parents were very close with them. They're such loving, wonderful people. And they loved me unconditionally, but I definitely did not have a traditional childhood. And I can't, I, I will say that it wasn't actually the happiest of childhoods for a number of reasons. And, um, and I set out on a goal where I was like, I want, I really want my kids to have an amazing childhood. So when I had this baby that cried all the time, I was like, uh oh, that's going to throw a wrench in my plans. I think I need to figure this out. And, um, and so that got me on this path. And, um, and it's been a 20 year journey, but that's really where it started. And you have three kids, right? I do. I have a a 19 year old son. He's my oldest. Uh, Then I have a 16 year old daughter, teenage daughter. She's a sophomore in high school. And I love to dispel the myth of that every mom hears the minute you're pregnant with a girl is, ugh, just wait till the teenage years. Hope you enjoy her while she's little. And I love to dispel that myth that I think teenage girls are amazing. Um, and then I have an 11 year old sixth grade son who is just the icing on the cake. Just Mr. I call him Mr. Delish. So, um, so yeah, so I, I, I spread my kids out, not intentionally, but they are four grades apart. And so it's kind of like the little kid years were never ending for us. Um, and I'm in the trenches. I got boys, I got girls, I got different learning styles. I've got different temperaments. Um, there's, I, I've pretty much seen it all. Randy, a parenting moment you're least proud of. A parenting moment that I am really proud of. Um, Oh, the one that I'm least proud of. My parenting moment that I'm least proud of. Let me think. Um, let me go back to, you know, I, I would tell you, I'll just, I mean, there's always moments where, and I tell everyone this is like, is I teach this stuff and I still am working on it on a daily basis. So one of the things that I teach is I think I, I've been, and it's my Facebook live series that I do on Monday. I'm teaching the three, the three diff, the three steps to having um, a truly productive conversation with your kids. And so I teach this and I teach it all the time. It's been really hard for me to kind of systematize it because it's just kind of woven into all the work that I do. And it's really just all about how we're changing the conversation in our household. How are we having more effective conversations? We're replacing the lectures with this new way of communicating that doesn't fall on deaf ears because lectures is nobody's listening. So I teach this and I make the mistake every single day of um, not doing what I teach. And then I have to go back and have a do-over conversation and apologize for why I screwed it up, which the do-over conversations are super connecting. So so it's a good thing. But anyway, I'll tell the story from yesterday. Yesterday afternoon, I'm sitting with my kids. They're studying for midterms. And my daughter at 16 says to me, uh, just so you know, on Friday, I am probably going to be in a really bad mood. <laughs> okay, so part of my productive conversation that I teach is when your kids come to you with something, you see it from their perspective, first and foremost, you put on their little kid glasses. Uh-huh. Second of all, you you show up from a place of empathy, which means we become a sounding board, we mirror and reflect back anything that they tell us. We don't offer new information. To show up from a place of empathy means that you're just a sounding board and you just help them to, to feel like you are sitting there right there with them in the mud. Okay. She says that to me, seeing it from her perspective. All I have to do now is mirror back. Oh, so you're going to be in a bad mood on Friday. What's going on? Okay. And then she tells me, which, which I kind of did. I say, yeah, I say, I say, why on Friday that you're going to be done with school and you 
have a few weeks off for break? Why will you be in a bad mood? And she says, well, because I know there's a party and I wasn't invited. Okay. Typical teenage thing happened, right? Not everyone's invited to the party. It's part of life, right? So I say, all I need to say is, oh, there's a party and you're not invited. Well, I guess that doesn't feel so good, huh? Okay. Just empathize with her because she's letting me know she's going to be in a bad mood. So it doesn't feel good. No. Instead, I say, I ask for the details of the party. Well, who's having the party? What's going on? Whose is it? Blah, 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 blah. She tells me who's having the party. I said, well, I thought you were friends with her. Why would she not invite you? Did she invite any other sophomores? Blah, blah, blah. You know, I'm trying to get to the bottom of it. Okay. So totally screwed that up. And she's like, yeah, she invited some other sophomores that she's good friends with. I thought we were friends, but she didn't invite me. So I, so she's already annoyed with me because instead of empathizing, I start grilling her. And so that's me screwing up my own process. And then I even go, that wasn't enough screwing up. And I know I'm screwing it up because she's totally annoyed by me right at this point. So I continue down the screwing up path. And I say, I say, well, you know, I start blowing smoke up. I, okay, I guess I'm, I shouldn't. I shouldn't curse on your podcast. <laughs> I start. I start blowing smoke up her butt, um, and I say, "Well, you know, sometimes older girls will exclude younger girls from things when they feel threatened by you." And she, okay, so then I go to that place, and she gets so annoyed with me. She's like, "That is ridiculous." Stop saying that. I, I wish I would have never, I wish I would have never brought this up. Blah, 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 blah. So I'm basically telling her that she got excluded because she's pretty. <laughs> and what am I attempting to do? This is me not even taking my own advice because I say this is the big mistake we all make. And I say I make it too all the time. I want to fix it. She tells me she's going to be in a bad mood. She's he's sad about it. I'm sitting here attempting to fix her bad mood that she feels excluded by pumping her up and telling her it's because she's too pretty. She lets me know, you know, massive epic fail, mom. This is not working. Now I'm annoyed. Oh, and we were sitting. I was getting work done. She was studying. We were on the couch together. It was this, the fire was going. It was this like picturesque scene. And after that. She's like, you know what? I'm going to go study upstairs because now you've totally annoyed me. So that's me. Had you not been a conscious parent, probably would would have not been able to recognize that pattern. And then this continues and continues. And then you don't know why your relationship with your daughter is like totally, you know, going down the drain, you know, six months later. Um, And it's just these little things that... Well, you know what? Yeah, that 100%. And this is where I say the do-over conversation a lot of times can be more connecting than if you had done it all right from the beginning. Because the do-over conversation will happen probably today. And I'll go in and I'll start it with an apology. I'll let her know how I royally messed that up. I'll let her know that I was being triggered for my own teenage years and every party that I was ever excluded from all of a sudden came flooding back. That I operated from a place of that, those old wounds that who even knew they were hanging around and it's embarrassing as a complete grown woman that that's coming back. That I put that on her when that was the last thing she needed when she was just letting me know she was just you know wanting me to show up for her and be her soft place to land hey kind of feels crummy to not to be excluded from a party but instead now I'm putting all my old baggage on her shoulders with all she's already going through and so I'll apologize I'll explain that I'll let her know that that was unfair that that was a massive fail on my part and that if I could go back go, go back and do it all over again I would have handled it totally differently and um, and I'm sorry to put those old wounds on her shoulders when she's, you know, got enough going on with being a teenager herself right now. And um, and, and 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 once you do that, it always ends up being such a beautiful connecting experience where you feel closer than ever. Yeah, and where yeah, your kids realize that we come from a positive place, place love, and that we're peace, and um, we're able to admit that we didn't handle things as well as we wanted. Yeah, it, it models also like this need to not have to be perfect. So what does that do? This is how you raise kids with the intrinsic motivation. This is how you raise kids when they're new drivers and they bump into a parked car that they get out and they leave a note. 
because you teach them that we make mistakes, that we're all human, part of this part of this human experience, and that we're not going to do things perfectly. And when we don't, we go back and we own it, and 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 it's totally okay, and it can be bonding and connecting, and the world is safe to be imperfect. Those of us who have more than one kid, we have experience, and um, many could relate to this. We have some kids who just, they're the easy-natured kid that, it's even more than their easy nature, they just fit into a certain mold. They do well in the American school system, and you know, like just that, that type of, they fit into the mold. Then we have some kids <laughs> just not fit into the mold of, you know, the education system or the yeshiva system or just, you know, they just, they, they're gonna, they just don't, even they don't fit into that picture of what we may be expected of our children, right? And according to Judaism, we have to love those children and that's, we have to tap into their superpower and they have amazing superpowers, even if it's not within this box that we want to put them in or the society wants to put them in or the education system how do, how do we deal, deal with this as parents so it seems to me what has come up very recently is that the people that are drawn to my work um, have those kids have at least one of those kids and and I see those kids and that's my oldest son and um, and here's the deal as humans we don't elect to change because our brains seek the familiar. Because it expends more calories to do something unfamiliar. That's why we repeat patterns and do things the same way, the same way, the same way. Even when we, when we're like, oh, I need to meditate. I need to go to yoga. But then we don't because we just do the same thing until, until we have a really compelling reason to change. So these kids, I think these challenging, these extra challenging kids, these little firecrackers in our lives are our biggest gifts because they propel us towards change. They are our compelling reason. The old conversation, the old traditional model, they let us know that it's not working for them and they refuse to comply. And when we become, you know, more authoritarian and we dig our heels in and we get firmer in the discipline and the old school methods, they rebel and they dig their heels in and they refuse to cooperate. So they really push us to learn this new conversation, to learn this new language. And, and, and what is amazing is that, is that it, this new conversation, it doesn't just benefit them. It's not just something they can hear. It benefits all kids. So even the easygoing ones, well, the easygoing ones, if we have all easygoing kids, it's not enough of a compelling reason to get off our butts and learn something new and to learn this new conversation. Because frankly, the old school conversation and the old style of discipline works for the easygoing kids. Even though they may not love it, they, they're like, they're going to go along to get along because they're just, that's just their temperament. These firecrackers are the ones who are like, yeah, uh-uh. You better learn something new. Well, the easygoing ones, when we start to have this conversation that our firecrackers can finally hear, the easygoing kids are propelled into like super kingdom. Like that's when they become emotionally intelligent way beyond their years. That's when they are like these kind, amazing children who stand up. They not only would they never bully another children, another child, they stand up when they see some injustice happening in the world. And so it benefits all kids. But I really do see these kids that refuse to be put into a box. I see them as the real the real impetus towards change. And um, and I think that they were given to us for a reason. Or even though that's the th- that's why that's why closing the gap is so imperative because when we understand these kids and understand how they're wired and understand this new, more effective way of communicating with them that they can actually hear, what happens is is that we don't take their behavior personally anymore. And when they start to show up in this super defiant way, we know, uh-oh, there's some big emotions happening inside. There's something to investigate and figure out. How can I support my kid? Their behavior's not about me. And we really, I mean, that's part of the shift into the emotional adulthood. It's not about us. 
we don't have to take it personally. And, um, and there's better methods and tools to, um, to help our kids, you know, kind of deal with those difficult emotions. I think you said that it's perfect segue to my next question, question was that all your time can let go of some football. Wait, you just got, it just got a little garbled. I can't hear you right now. So can you hear me now? Yeah, I can hear you now. Are there times, Randy, this is a perfect segue to my next question, was are there times where we can let go of some chutzpah behavior because, again, we see the bigger picture and we see that it's not personal and there's something going on that needs to be worked on, but that, you know, going totally against, you know, and, you know, the kid is chutzpah and is defiant and just going at it at that moment is probably not the best idea. Yeah, you. this is part of the brain retraining. Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Would you like a little example yeah, from my own life? I mean, my mother sees when I do this, and she's appalled. Like, she thinks I, my house is chaotic, and it's not. But, like, you know, if you see it as a single moment, you know, you think, like, this lady lets her child do whatever. <laughs> well, how old are your kids? I have an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, uh, an 8-year-old, and a 5-year-old. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah, my parents also used to do the same thing. And um, and then once my kids really got into the teenage years and they started really seeing them as kind of like full-grown people yeah. to some extent, they started singing my praises from the rooftops. And your mom will do the same. So um, because it's almost like, you know, they're worried. They're worried that, uh, that the clowns are running the circus. Yeah. They're worried that something's different in the way that, that they think it should be done. But once once the results are there, your mom will be the president of your fan club and telling everyone why, why this is the better way to raise children. So just just know that's coming. Um, so my, my fiery child uh, is in college. I called him last week. He's at a coffee shop studying with his girlfriend. I'm talking with him. I asked him how his, you know, his winter form, fraternity formal went. And he snaps at me and he says, I already told you about that kind of in this, you know, this disrespectful tone. And I said, no. And he said, I definitely did. I definitely already told you about this. And I said, well, you told me where y'all were going for dinner, but I never talked to you afterwards to, you know, find out how it was and how the dance was and all that good stuff. And he's like, oh, well, so he tells me a little bit about it. And he's like, yeah, I, I, I told you about this already. So he's at, you know, so it could very easily go to that place of don't talk to me that way. I am your mother. And that is disrespectful. I don't like your tone. You know, it could go to that place very, very easily. But instead, because I've retrained my brain on this and I have a really great relationship with my kid, I know he's in the middle of finals, right? Studying for finals right now. He's also about to separate from his girlfriend. She lives in Atlanta. He lives in Houston. So there, it's the last final days until, you know, it's like everybody's going to be away from each other. So there's a lot of, um, and he's also, there's a lot of stress going on for him. And also he's never been great with transitions which most people aren't, or change. You know, I mean, like I said, humans seek the familiar. So any change, it feels disruptive. So he's got enough inside his body going on that's probably pretty anxiety-producing. So for me to take that opportunity to all of a sudden give him a lecture and read him the riot act because he's taking his big feelings on the inside out on me would be, like, it would be damaging to our relationship. Instead, I know it's not about me. I know he's got this other stuff going on. And in that moment, I said, okay, Okay, go enjoy Jamie. Y'all have fun. You know, you have have fun and try and get a lot done. I love you, and I'll talk to you soon. He was like, "Okay, bye." That's it. I ended up. Ta- I fa- we Facetimed with him later on in the evening. We did. We Facetimed him in when we were doing Hanukkah, and um, and we were being goofy, and we embarrassed him in front of his girlfriend, and it was a whole fun thing. I didn't need to harp on that moment. It wasn't about me. And doing so, standing on ceremony and giving him a lecture about how he needs to speak to me as his mother. All it would do would it would it would produce negative results. It would make us feel more disconnected, and I want that. So yeah, it's there's there's definitely behaviors that we learn to just like like we don't need to we don't need to pick a fight just because. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Randy, you mentioned Hanukkah. We're right in the middle of Hanukkah, although this is going to air um, later in, in the new year, in 2018. Any Jewish traditions that you hold on to dearly, either because you grew up with them and you brought them into your home, or perhaps your husband brought them in, or maybe you adopted them as an adult, but something that's, you know, that you are particular about in your home? So, my kids, this is what I'll say. My kids are way more Jewish than I am. <laughs> um, I grew up reform, and, um, but I did, I had a bat mitzvah, and I went to Jewish summer camp, and, and probably, um, the most impactful part of my Jewish identity was going to Jewish summer camp. Uh, my kids, and I grew up in South Texas, I grew up in Corpus Christi, there wasn't, there wasn't, a, I mean, quite often, I was the only Jewish kid at my school, so, um, I was very proud of my Jewish identity, and it was kind of something special about me, but I wasn't surrounded by Jewish kids. So I've raised my kids um, in a Jewish environment. They've gone to, they've even gone to Jewish private schools and um, and they've pushed us, like they definitely know more about the holidays and rituals and they kind of push us, me and my husband, to, to do some of the rituals, to light the candles, to, you know, I never even knew there was a second part to the Hanukkah prayer. Um, until my kids taught it to me. So, um, so I would just say that I've kind of enjoyed that my kids own their Judaism and they roll their eyes quite often at me and their dad because, um, because it's like we're not Jewish enough for them. Uh, especially my, I mean, my daughter is probably the most, the, she's, she's, she's the most, um, she identifies, I think, the most with her Jewish identity. But, um, but my boys to some extent too. And so, um, I feel, I feel like that's been a neat part of their growing up and, and their existence. That's so beautiful. And good for you and your husband to be open to that. You know, sometimes parents take it a little bit, you know, almost like a personal attack on their parenting. If their kids want to, you know, bring a little bit more of tradition into the home or something. Um, but I think the way you framed it is so beautiful that, you know, they were learning things and they bring them to you and you take that in a, in a positive way. Which is yeah, it's really been, I think, such a sense of community for them. And, um, and, and they really, um, yeah, they take, they, they take pride in it all. They take pride in the community. They take pride, um, they take pride in the rituals. Um, it's, it's been a beautiful thing. Great. Okay. Um, Randy, let's do, I, I end up all my interviews with what I call JLP fill in the blanks. And this is the part of the show where I give you an open ended sentence and you finish it with the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm Randy Rubenstein and I feel most spiritual when. I'm Randy Rubenstein and I feel most spiritual when I am authentically connecting with either myself or another person. Oh, beautiful, beautiful. Were you a psychologist or a therapist in, in your, your training, your education, or not? No, no. Every, that's kind of one of my, my big claim to fame is, is what I say is I am a mom in the trenches and everything that I teach is what has worked for me and other people that I've taught before you. I love it. I love it. And it just goes to show that we are so talented and so special and we, we don't have to stick to a box of, well, this is not what I studied or this wasn't the career path. Like when we find something that we're so passionate about and we're good at, we can give it to the world, you know, and do a great job at it. There you go. Yeah. It's, fu- you know, it's kind of funny because I studied um, sociology and women's studies uh-huh. in college and the big joke in my family was that it basically trained me for nothing. Um until I had been a mom in the trenches for a number of years. And all of a sudden I realized that this thing that I did, it felt selfish to just hoard it for myself. And I needed to teach it to other people. And it's exactly, I, I, I empower women, women's studies. And, um, and I'm constantly studying the patterns of people and helping people to study their own patterns within their family. So it is sociology and women's studies. I just had to kind of create my own career path. Beautiful. My favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected with is? My favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected with, um, 
I would say is when I teach, when I practice myself or when I teach my kids to look at the world from someone else's perspective, because I think that it truly helps you to show up from a place of love and kindness. Yes, that is, that is so true. And it speaks, the Talmud speaks about it extensively. There's a number of missionaries on the same topic. My fondest, sweetest, sweetest Jewish memory is... Hmm. I mean, I my fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is all has to do with growing up going to Jewish summer camp. The power of a of a, a good Jewish camp can do wonders for a child. So much more that I think than a day school. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I think there's studies. I've heard that there are studies on it. Actually, yes, there are. Yes, yes. Not that I'm, I'm not trying to throw day school education under the bus, but what I'm emphasizing is that that the camp experience, a beautiful Jewish camp experience, is extremely powerful for children. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up. Um, I think I wish I would have learned more about some of these spiritual practices and like how validating it is to the work I do today. I wish I would have learned more about that and rather than just about what it means to be culturally Jewish. Yeah. I've heard this often and the good news is it's never too late. And now with the access of information and, in, uh, you know, in English and in every language, I mean, there's so much to be learning and connecting it to our work. Um, so thank God for that. Another positive aspect. Like the of technology and the internet and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. When I give Sadaka charity, I like to give to teachers. Teachers. Teachers, teachers, teachers. I'm super passionate about the work of teachers. I think they are the daytime mommies to our kids. I think they are grossly underpaid. I think it's the hardest job in the world. And um, I love giving to teachers. Gorgeous answer. So true. So true. Finally, I'm Randy Rubenstein. And today I'm most grateful for Today, I'm most grateful for the life that I have the pleasure and the honor to get to live involving real relationships, um, building the family of my dreams, and sharing the meaningful work that I do with other families. Well, Randy, thank you so much. You have a wonderful newsletter that people could get um, once a week, I think. Tell us how we sign up. Yeah, so I do a variety of of free resources just to help support other moms that are interested in my work. And I send a a weekly newsletter out with a bunch of free resources. It usually has a link to my Facebook Live series where I model the productive conversation. Um, and um, And I also have a free gift that is an audio chapter of my book. My book's not out. My, my book is now only out in print. It's not out in the audio version yet, but I recorded one audio chapter and I give that out as a free gift for anyone that wants to kind of experience my work. So everybody, the book is um, The Parent Gap, Tools to, help, tools to Keep You Cool, Stay Connected and Change Unhealthy Patterns. And we're going to have um, the link to access to sign up for Randy's newsletter and her, and her audio, uh, the chapter, the audio chapter of her book. And the website is Randy Rubenstein, of course, and you can find out everything about Randy there, blog posts, amazing information, and sign up for that newsletter. Randy, thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Jaila. I can't wait to get together with you for coffee. This is fun. Yes, we'll have to do that. Thank you so much. Thanks to Randy Rubenstein for stopping by. The book is The Parent Gap, Tools to Keep Your Cool, Stay Connected, and Change Unhealthy Patterns. You can find out more about Randy at randyrubenstein.com. And over there, you can sign up for her weekly newsletter and to receive a copy of a chapter of her book in audio form. Of course, you can also find out about private coaching, speaking engagements, and group courses. All of this and more back at jewishlatinprincess.com. 
Did you download my free guide to honor the Shabbat queen like a princess? You should. It's my super easy method on how I manage to make Shabbat and not be overwhelmed. I have a system and it's been helpful to me and I think it's been helpful to other women. I've heard from some of you who have been able to tweak it and incorporate it into your life. So I'm very happy about that. If you haven't, you can download it there and subscribe to the newsletter to stay updated whenever a new blog post is up, a new podcast episode, and more great info. And if you know of a Jewish woman who you think would enjoy the show, why not let them know about it? Go ahead and share it. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit JewishLatinPrincess.com.